Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Support independent Mi'kmaq media. Become a Mi'kmaq Matters patron at patreon.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters. This week, we're discussing the ouster of Morley Gugu as regional chief for Newfoundland and Nova Scotia. But before we do that, we acknowledge the passing of Jerry Brake, whose name is on the class action lawsuit on Halibut enrollment currently before the Federal Court of Appeal. Jerry has joined the ancestors in the spirit world. The lawyer in the case, David Rosenfeld, says the case will continue, though it's not known yet in what form. Morley Gugu has left the building. He is no longer the regional chief for Newfoundland and Nova Scotia. The Assembly of First Nations has announced the position is vacant. Gugu had to go because of the bullying and harassment, which it has been established took place by him against women in the Tripartite Forum, a joint agency of Canada, Nova Scotia, and the Mi'kmaq chiefs of Nova Scotia. But how did someone with criminal convictions last in the position so long? And just how did they get elected in the first place? That's what's on the mind of Cheryl Maloney, who brought the complaint that ultimately led to Gugu's ouster. But she spent three years in limbo and lost her job as a result. Was it worth it? We'll talk to her later in the program. The chiefs who will choose Gugu's replacement want more transparency in the process. Chief P.J. Prosper of the Buckton First Nation is spokesperson for the Assembly of Nova Scotia Mi'kmaq Chiefs. He told me that even before Gugu's ouster, chiefs were looking for a way to strengthen the process and give it more transparency. We had previously done work uh, through the Assembly on formalizing that process, but it, it's not complete. Um, I can say that there was a, a process um, related to the selection of uh, then existing regional chief, uh, Mori Gugu, which, you know, involved, um, I would say, a basic outline of um, accepting nominations and providing an opportunity for people to uh, speak to the chiefs prior to uh, a decision being made. But... Um, but ongoing. Um, Let me interrupt you right there to ask about, and how did that work? Did that work with the uh, all chiefs in attendance, or did it happen on a conference call, or what was the setting for that? Yes, um, so it was a specific meeting call for that specific purpose. Um, most of the chiefs were in attendance, some by phone, mm-hmm. and uh, this involves um, the chiefs of Nova Scotia and Newfoundland. And um, so that was sort of the the venue for that. Mm-hmm. Because the um, the new process is not exactly in place, uh, you're expecting the are you expecting the the process coming up to be 
more formal uh, than the last one or, or not? Yes, that's the anticipation is to make it more transparent and more of an open process, you know, um, because it, it's a very important position. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's integral to the relationships that we have fostered um, amongst ourselves, but certainly uh, within a national type of agenda. And um, as I mentioned, there has been some preliminary work in the sense of outlining some of the roles and responsibilities and terms of office and things of that nature that I think we do need to um, enhance and further review. Uh, for example, looking at uh, existing practices that exist with other offices of regional chiefs across the country just to put in place something that fits, something that is appropriate uh, for our leadership. So what would you think the next steps would be in uh, the process for uh, uh, finding the next regional chief for Newfoundland and Nova Scotia? Well, there, there was a subcommittee, uh, which I am involved in, uh, that was struck to, you know, initially uh, begin with the process of you know, um, developing um, processes that make it more open and transparent and, you know, to take into account um, things related to term of office and things of that nature. So um, we'll continue that work. Um, as I understand, uh, the chiefs have reserved um, uh, their position as to when. Um, that um, office would be filled. I believe um, the former regional chief's um, term was ending in May, so, you know, we want to do it, you know, in a forthright and appropriate manner in order to, um, you know, which is deserving of a position of this nature. Mm -hmm. Am I correct that the the regional chief is chosen by the 15 chiefs in the region, Newfoundland and Nova Scotia. That, that's correct. And that's in accordance to the charter of the Assembly of First Nations. Is there a formal nomination process? Does a, a chief have to be nominated by another chief or uh, more than one chief? Or can a chief say, I'm interested. I, I would like to nominate myself. Um, is there a formal nomination process in, in, of that sort? Well, there was previously uh, a formal nomination process um, where nominations were put forward by chiefs and uh, confirmed by chiefs. Um, certainly, I don't um, see there or nobody has advanced anything uh, against the idea of a chief, uh, existing chief trying to run for that position. Um, th there are certainly discussions that um, need to take place collectively to um, flesh out certain things related to this position and um, sort of firm them up in more of a written document. Right. And uh, would that written document be shared by, by uh, people of the uh, of the communities in the in the region, or would it be for internal use? 
Well, I certainly hope that it would be shared, and I don't see um, any reasons why it wouldn't. I think it's important for the general public to know what the process, you know, is encompassed in terms of selection and term of office and things of that nature. We've, like I mentioned, we have talked about it um, over the past number of years, but um, there's a need to just, you know, sort of finish that and get it more formalized, and I really don't see uh, an issue with uh, sharing that to the general public. Do you think we would know in advance when the selection meeting would be taking place and who the candidates were and um, uh, when uh, uh, a vote would take place, things of that nature, or would we find out about it after the fact, do you think? Um, my sort of um, thinking is it would certainly be um, made in advance, those specifics, just to give people notice of the process uh, to allow them an opportunity to participate within the process and maybe find out certain questions in advance um, rather than after selection. It seems more fitting to have it. Yeah, because then it might be that individual band members in their communities would contact her, the, their individual chief and say, Chief, I like I like, uh, you know, this chief, and I think it, you know, he or she should be the regional chief. So, you know, I suggest you support that chief. So there might be some dynamic that way in terms of engagement of uh, individual band members across the region. Certainly, and, I, and as I mentioned, it's it's an important position, and you know, we need to exercise due diligence and uh, make the best efforts to find the right person for that position. Yes. And at this point, we're not exactly sure when you're expecting all chiefs to be together, all 15 chiefs, but you're not exactly sure uh, when that might be. We're now in late October, so it could be that it's uh, the new year before we have a, a regional chief. Yes. Um, uh, as it stands, I'm not quite certain as to you know, when the particular decision, it hasn't been set a particular date. Um, a lot of discussions have been um, sort of focused on, well, in order to roll this out, what is the sort of best mechanism and ways we can do it just to, um, you know, provide it in an open and transparent manner. Chief P.J. Prosper. Meanwhile, Cheryl Maloney, who brought the complaint against Gugu, continues with her life on hold. She sacrificed her job by taking on Gugu. She's not sure what the future holds, and she worries about her personal safety. I checked in with Cheryl Maloney late last week and asked her to reflect on what has happened and what still needs to be done. I got a, um, a um, email from the AFN Thursday before, he was removed Friday. Thursday, um, they sent me an email and said that Morley um, and his lawyer were receiving their report Thursday morning at 11 and that they had just sent it to him and that if I had any safety concerns, I probably should make arrangements then. And to me, that was disappointing because it was the week prior that they said they had a deadline to get their um, the report to him. So it was a week prior to that that I was actually, you know, 
had made arrangements for my son to be away. Um, I actually went away to a, a safe place, and I wasn't around. And I, you know, spent time and money making plans. And then I got an email late Thursday that they had um, postponed it for a week. Mm. So, so everything I had set into motion was now, you know, I, I, I did all that once already. And so when they told me the second time, I it was impossible to leave. I didn't have the money. I didn't have the time. My son was had commitments. Um, so we had to stay put. Yeah. And, you know, so, 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 when, so if in, uh, in their communication, Ashley mentioned to you specifically uh, the idea of making safety arrangements. Well, I told them prior to that that a lot of the women didn't want to come forth. And people just didn't want to testify because of safety. And there was nothing anybody could offer other than saying, you know, well, call the police if you feel afraid. Well, you can't call the police for them to be there morning, noon, and night for for weeks because this guy or months or years. Like, what are you going to call the cops? Jeez. Hmm. You know, what can they do, really? Yes. There's really nothing you can do to help women in these situations. Um prepare unless you want to put them in a shelter, which then they leave, you know, the family, the partners, their home, their safe, you know, everything else that makes them safe and secure. In your Facebook post, uh, soon after the announcement, you expressed concerns about your safety. So it's been a, we're talking uh, the following Friday, it's been about a week. So ha have there been any incidents of any kind? since? No, uh, and you know, um, I, don't, I don't think anybody's heard from, from Morley publicly um at all mm -hmm. so it's it's been really really quiet yes and have you received any other reaction from people have people contacted you uh lots lots of people call um lots of women some men leaders which i really really appreciated some well-respected leaders that um not indian actually but leaders mm -hmm. who called and um you know just expressed um i i guess gratitude and just check in to see who i am yes so that that was really nice mm -hmm. uh, but uh, most of the calls i get are from women saying you know what um we're still afraid but we're glad you did this mm. and um i think everybody else is like the the most common response is it's about time. How do you get away with this for so long? Because mm -hmm. everybody and and his um his history and pattern of behaviors and it wasn't just this incident mm -hmm. with me or or the um within the tripartite form and the women in the form. It it was a a pattern of bad behavior throughout his whole reign, his whole political life when he was chief and when he was the, the vice chief. So a general feel from everybody is how how could this happen so long anyways? And so, um, so what do you feel now? Do you feel a sense of closure or do you feel that the situation is still not at an end? There are other things to happen. Well, there. you know, um Brian, I'm still without a job. I'm 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 without an income. Uh the damages that they wanted us to endure, you know, just go to the other room or don't go to a meeting when he's there. Um you can't do that for years and years while you're waiting for people to investigate it. It's almost impossible to stay in the um, situation. Mm -hmm. But if you leave, you take that chance that that's it. 
So nobody's called me and said, you know, we were wrong. We have liabilities. Um, you know, maybe we want to do um, have a talk with you and see if, you know, you can be reinstated, if we can undo the damage that was done. How's your security? How's your safety? Um, nothing. I, I still have not formally heard back from any of the members of the tripartite officials, which included the uh, AFN, other than the investigator doing the report. Well, there, there are – you have your – Human rights complaint, and uh, the AFN says it's it's investigating. So I suppose those things, because they're ongoing, you will have to return to the situation via those um, those processes. Well, it, it's really difficult. You don't even want you know if they want a amendment or more detail. It's really emotionally hard hmm. to go and do that work. And like I said before, I couldn't get a lawyer. Um, there's all the law firms in Nova Scotia were finding there's conflicts with one of the parties of the form with somebody in their their um, law practices. So it's really difficult to have to go through it. And I, I, I can't still to this day recommend any women go forth and complain. Thinking back, do you have any regrets that you – did what you did, do you sometimes think, well, maybe I should have just gone quietly and not not taken this on? Uh, do you feel it was it's all been worth it? Well, you know, the only thing that, that keeps me going is victims of sexual violence. There's victims of sexual violence and domestic violence that would have to look at him on the news every day. And so for me, in this case, I had uh, workplace political bullying, uh, workplace harassment, gender-based discrimination. But I don't have that emotional tie to him that others may have. And I'm not saying anything that's off the record. What I'm referring to is it's the public record of the, you know, the various charges over the years. He had domestic violence charges in the 90s. These are all part of the, the um, public record. So, and then as recent as 2017, 2018, when he had the charges um, in member two. So this is all part of the, the public record. And for me, when I, I, what I went through is tough. It, it, it's still, I'm still going through it. But what made me go through and make me say, I, I can't regret what, you know, this process and the price that I've had to pay for it personally because I know there's other women that can't do this, that could never do this, that don't have the background, the education, the strength, um, you know, to take on, take this on. Because at some point you feel like it was me against all the chiefs because they were quiet. And so when it was actually the Nova Scotia Nisaban chiefs that removed them, I felt some peace with that. At least it wasn't the AFN that did it. But then I read their release, and the release said that um, due to incidents during his suspension, they they decided to to remove him from office. So it wasn't the suspension. It wasn't the investigation that led to the suspension. It was his behavior since then. And they haven't disclosed what that is right yet. Mm. Um so, but it was something that he had done since then, and I guess they just finally had enough and, and 
But I still have peace that it was my chiefs that had to make that decision instead of it being forced on to our chiefs in our region by um, the Assembly of First Nations. Mm. But that doesn't put the Assembly of First Nations off the hook. We're still waiting for their findings, and, and the Nova Scotia chiefs are still waiting for the findings and of that investigation. Mm. So it's a week ago yesterday that Morley would have received the report with his lawyer, and then he had a chance to respond to the AFN. And then the AFN should be sharing the report, the findings with with the, the people that matter, and that's Indigenous women across the country, not just myself, but all Indigenous women have to um, be able to see that there's due process here and that if we make complaints, something will be done with them. There needs to be transparency in their their new codes or their, or, or how they handle this. Often it's done behind closed doors and people get paid off and, and the women leave. Cheryl Maloney. And that's it for the program. Allison Baker is the technical producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Thanks to our radio partners, Bay of Islands Radio, Voice of Bombay, Chamar, and Mielbegeg First Nation Radio. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.